Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goal. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today our guest is Daniel Croci. He's the co-founder and principal of Burgo and is primarily responsible for overseeing capital markets, investment strategy, and portfolio performance, in addition to various internal organizational functions. And then prior to co-founding Burgo Capital, Daniel assembled and oversaw an independently syndicated portfolio of multifamily real estate investments. So his experience in alternative investment management includes financial and strategic oversight of over $400 million in private fund assets spanning the real estate, private debt, venture capital, and private equity asset classes. So I'm really glad to have you on the show today, Daniel. Welcome to the show. And how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks, Eileen, for having me. I'm happy to be here. Glad to have a chance to chat. Thanks for for having me. So Daniel, if you'd like to start off by sharing a little bit more about your background and how did you get started in real estate? Yeah, sure. So for me, so I'm in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I'm born and raised in, in Western Pennsylvania. And real estate's kind of cheap here. And so when I got out of college, I rented an apartment for a couple of years and living with friends and eventually got to the point where I got, I got married and my wife and I had to figure out where we wanted to live. And so I just started kind of running the math on uh, what it would be like to rent an apartment without splitting the rent costs with friends versus getting a mortgage. And it turned out that it was going to be order of magnitude much cheaper to actually own in this market than to rent. So that got me thinking, oh, I bet somebody's making money on the landlord side of the equation if they're able to own assets. So I started getting interested in my early 20s in acquiring property and then really just kind of jumped in with both feet. The first deal I did was a small single family home that I got for $19,000. I got that first rent check and then I just sort of got addicted to the idea of passive income and started buying up more properties as, as soon as I could. So that's how I, I got into it on a personal level. But then it took several years to get to the point where I was starting a company to do this more professionally. And so when did you decide that you know this is something that you were passionate about, something that you wanted to pursue full time? Yeah, I think I didn't really realize that it was an option to do it full time for the first several years. I mean, I knew right away that I loved it. Like I got the bug and I just wanted to look at deals online and do spreadsheets. And like, I I loved everything about real estate from the moment that I discovered it as, as an investment asset class. But for me, it was in the early years, always just about passive cash flow for my lifestyle and for creating independence and freedom, but I didn't think of it in a, in a bigger context of like really wanting to create a business and do it full time. So I think I came to a realization for me, that it was 2015 when kind of had an eye-opening moment. I was professionally managing people's money in a fund and it was doing fine. The, the fund wasn't a real estate fund. It didn't have anything to do with real estate, but then I was personally like obsessed with real estate and every spare chance I got, I was thinking about real estate. So I just had this light bulb moment that said, is there some way that I could marry these two things together and take 
what I was doing professionally in managing people's money, you know, they had trusted me with one strategy. And so I thought maybe I could convince them to trust me with another strategy that I really believed in. And so that's kind of when I had this light bulb moment that like the skills I was honing in my day job could actually be utilized in real estate and, and it could be you know, something that would allow me to, to dive in with both feet. And so when you decided to make that pivot into real estate and create your and start up your own business, what were the first steps that you did to be able to set everything up? And what were the first steps that you took to be able to hit the ground running? Yeah, great question. My story is totally a story of partnership. So I sort of reached this point where I, I thought I would love to do this. Conceptually, it sounded awesome to me to take the funds that I was managing and start to pivot my strategy more towards real estate. But I hit a wall when I realized that there was just a limitation on my own skill set. And so for me, the first step for it to even be you know, a possibility was to think about a way to compensate for my own you know, weaknesses, which for me was in areas of operations. So in my opinion, property management is really where you make your money in real estate. If you have great property management, you'll tend to have great results. So, and I didn't want to just hire out to any random property manager. I really wanted to, to believe deeply in the skills of the property management partner. So I partnered with someone that I had known for a number of years who was doing property management in my market in the property type that I was interested in specializing in, which was workforce housing. Uh, his name is Andrew Riker. is a husband-wife pair, Andrew and Shannon. They had started the, our affiliated property management company in 2012. So we sort of had a moment where we all realized they really wanted to grow on the ownership side. They wanted to be able to access more capital and have more ownership in properties. And I wanted to be able to you know, be confident in the operations of the properties that I was interested in buying. So the first step was really, I'd say, putting the team into place and identifying what are my skills, what can I bring to the table, what are the gaps, and do I can I find people that you know I'm values aligned with that could come alongside me and, and help round out the team. So that was step one. And after that, after you had found your team, what did you guys do afterwards to start to building up? We made a bunch of mistakes. <laughs> That's the first thing we did, in all honesty. No, so I've told this story a few times, but ironically, so today we're crystal clear on what we do. We acquire and operate workforce housing in the heartland of America. That's often uh, often overlooked. But back then, we weren't so crystal clear. So the first deal we did in our first fund was a 54-unit Class C apartment building. And then a couple months later, we bought a... 11,000 square foot strip center. And then a couple months later, we bought a pretty much new construction office building. So we were trying things on and sort of figuring out what our niche was. And I say that those are mistakes. I mean, those were consistent with our strategy at the time, but I think we didn't really know what our core competency was when we were just starting out. But so really, I would say what we did and what I, what I, credit ourselves with is actually taking action. So we bought property and we figured things out. We hired people, we raised money and we put ourselves out there in the marketplace and did deals and called banks and called insurance companies and title companies and learned. We just really rolled our sleeves up 
and learn how to do all the elements that go into a, into a real estate transaction. So, but really, you know, I think the rocket fuel was capital. That was the primary component that had to be present for us to be able to build a business that we needed to have the resources to go out and do that. So I think our early success in finding some people that would believe in us was, was really critical to opening up the doors to be able to build, build a business. So then how did you guys decide what your core competency was and how did you realize that that was what you wanted to focus on was workforce housing? Yeah, great question. So for us, I think it was a little bit of trial and error. I think we just sort of over time fell into our groove and figured out what can we be really, really good at? Where did we believe there was a gap in the market? And we didn't think there were a lot of many great, excuse me, property managers in uh, the workforce housing space, at least in the markets where we operate. But then also, I think it was just a function of developing more depth of conviction about what's a wise investment in today's world. And as we looked at the landscape and thought about you know, the menu of options of real estate investments, where we came out is we just think that the best risk-adjusted return is in multifamily, and in particular, in the workforce housing segment of multifamily. So I think it was both figuring out what are we good at, and then what do we believe in as the best risk-adjusted return in the marketplace over the long term. And for us, that was easily multifamily. And then was there a moment in time, I guess, for you and your partners as you're trying to figure out your core competency and wanting to figure out what you wanted to do in the space and to be able to scale, you know, was there a pivotal moment in time for you or, or a, an experience that had helped to push forward the trajectory of your business? Yeah, in some senses, yes. I would say for us, it was, it was a more gradual realization. I think if I had to pick a moment in time, I would say it was when we started our second fund. So we today operate two funds. One, the first we put together in 2015, and the second we put together in 2018. And the first was really just sort of a proof of concept, uh, you know, wanting to start to tell a story and see if, if we could really do this. But when we got to the point where we had a second, then it was a, a real business. And we were hearing from the investors that were in the first that they were willing and eager to double down. And, and we just kind of saw the success start to compound itself. And so I think that moment of realizing that not only did we believe in what we had started, but we had a community of people around us that believed in it as well, uh, was really just, you know, gave us a ton of confidence to uh, maximize what we had started to build. But I will say that the counter to that is we're very much like a one foot in front of the other kind of organization. That's really our DNA. So as opposed to you know, one really pivotal moment that changed everything, I think it was more of like we did the right things day after day. And then at some point we looked back and realized, wow, we've come a really long way and that's good. So let's keep going. So I think it's maybe a little bit more of that for us. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us, because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. 
A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. And so where are you guys today in your business? Yeah, so we right now have about 200 million in assets under management. We do still have about 325,000 square feet of commercial space that we manage. We have 2,000, a little bit over 2,000 apartment units. And we're now in three markets. So we started just in Pittsburgh, within an hour of Pittsburgh. But we are now in Buffalo, New York, and Cincinnati, Ohio, as well. And we have full-time staff in each of those markets. So our team now is probably about between 70 and 75 people. Um, and we've just closed out the raise of, of that second fund. We raised about $35 million in that second fund from investors all, all across the country. We're actually in a really interesting pivotal moment where we're changing our business to focus more on retail, unaccredited investors in the future, or at least make ourselves open to uh, retail investors. So we've always just had these private funds that are only available to accredited investors that have had pretty high minimums. But uh, in the future, so early next year, we're going to be launching a fund that's going to be a REIT with really low minimum that'll be accessible to anyone and everyone. So we're excited about that change. Our internal sort of core purpose, we've always said, is improving lives through real estate. And we really believe in giving people access to this asset class. And so we're excited about a a change where we'll be able to provide more access, more people with better access and and reduce the barriers to entry for people who are interested in, in real estate. And how are you guys have been able to you know, communicate that to your current investor base and also build up the second group of investors that you're looking to serve as well? Yeah, I think it's not a, a difficult conversation because it's we're not alienating those who have been with us all along. We still have a great product for them and we're still committed to generating outstanding outcomes for them. And I think the future product that we'll be launching is an improvement on anything we've done so far and have better liquidity, more reporting and transparency. And so I think everyone around the table is, is excited about this, uh, this new moment for us. And then as it relates to, you know, starting to build an audience with new folks, it's, it's uncharted territory for us. So for example, these kinds of conversations, we've never really told our story very much. We've always just sort of been quiet and, and done our thing and built our network and our roster of investors very organically, sort of old school. So we're excited to be out there and being more visible, being more connected and networking, seeing how we can be a part of a broader community. But but it's really early days for us in sort of testing those waters and, and figuring out how we can yeah, really insert ourselves into, into the, the community of people that are doing this thing. So I'd love to ask you as well, since we're on this topic of you're transitioning over to opening up a new rate, allowing unaccredited investors to come and participate with your company as well to help them achieve their financial goals. I guess from a business standpoint, what are some of the differences that you've had to change in order to, you know, create a REIT versus just an, a standard fund? Sure. Yeah. Well, it's been a huge learning process for me in the past uh, couple of quarters as, as we've sort of made the strategic direction to decision to change the 
the direction of our structure in the future. So, and I'm still learning, I'm still very much learning. So that's a big caveat, but primarily for us, the main difference is going to be in how we are able and how we market and how we sell securities in the future. So we're not doing this today, but in the future, we're going to have an SEC compliance component to what we do with our new fund product. And that just creates additional reporting requirements. You know, we have to really staff up with our finance team internally so that we know, uh, you know, we, we're confident in our reporting capabilities and our internal infrastructure to comply with what the SEC will be looking for from us. So that's one, one area. And then I think too, just really inserting ourselves into some new markets. I think as we appeal to a broader audience, a historical Burgo investor is someone who is very interested in Pittsburgh and who really found the risk return profile of the Pittsburgh investment compelling. But as we move to more of a, of a national investor audience and more of a retail investor audience, I think we need to have an investment product that's a little bit more diversified. So we have been, as I mentioned, going into other markets that we feel are you know, similar in their character to Pittsburgh. So really strong yield, relatively low risk in some of these markets. They're, they're overlooked by most sophisticated investors. They're not looking at Buffalo and Cincinnati. They're looking in much more high growth markets. So we're all about a risk management strategy and a diversification strategy that's focused on the heartland. But so we've had to put the, the pieces in place to make that narrative more real as we you know, want to provide an investment product that has really strong diversification throughout the heartland. We've had to hire and go find property and build brokerage relationships and all of the nuts and bolts that goes along with you know, developing a, a presence in a new market. And so from an investor standpoint, if they're looking at comparing, you know, the fund versus a REIT, what's the core difference between those two and how does it impact the investor? Sure. Well, it depends on, there are a bunch of differences with our, so do you mean our, our previous fund versus a, yes. like a new kind of REIT? Yes. Okay. So our previous fund that we still operate today are closed ended. So they have a defined life but they're also completely illiquid. So we've done, we've historically done 10 year funds that, you know, when someone commits to it, they're in it for the long run. And there's not a whole lot of intermittent valuation or reporting. I mean, there's reporting, we do annual audits and things like that, but yeah. So the structure has historically been very closed ended and the new fund, it will be open-ended. So we will reprice quarterly so people will know the value of what they have in a clear and easy to understand way every quarter. Um, and people can come in and out quarterly. So it's going to be an evergreen fund. Um, so if someone wants to stay in for a really long time, they can do that. Or if they want to you know, do this, if they have sort of a three-year investment horizon, that's something that we'll be able to accommodate as well in the new fund. Another really key difference is tax. So private funds and closed-ended funds, we've historically been, been structured um, with pass-through taxes. So investors who are really interested in depreciation would look to our previous funds as being a, an attractive tax strategy for them. But within a REIT, it's, there's just different tax treatment. So not to overcomplicate things, we, in our future, we're actually going to still have an option for people who want the pass-through depreciation. They can invest in 
partnership that we'll have to provide that, that we'll invest alongside the REIT. But the majority of investors and particularly unaccredited investors will be coming into this REIT, which has different tax treatment, but is better for things like IRAs and 401ks and people who have certain types of, you know, investment accounts that might not have been as good of a fit for our historical fund. Oh, awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that, Daniel. Yeah, sure. Pretty so, technical. <laughs> again, like you said, it's a learning curve. Sure is, yeah. And so for you, Daniel, I'd love to ask you, how has real estate investing impacted your life? Well, I tell you what, it's, I consider myself incredibly privileged uh, to be able to be involved in, in this industry and provided me with a great amount of freedom and, and flexibility. But I think most of all, we've found it as an opportunity to impact people. So the way it's impacted me is it's given me uh, an opportunity to have an impact on, on the people around me. I think about our stakeholders from our investors to our tenants, to our employees, to the communities that we invest in. It's given me a, just a tremendous privilege to be able to sort of meaningfully engage and have, a, have an impact on you know, those stakeholders. If there was one thing that you wish you knew now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started, what would that be? <laughs> well, had I known that there was going to be a pandemic, I <laughs> would not have bought office properties in the past five to seven years. So that's one little thing, but that's a little bit more uh, tactical. I would say a high level, I would say that you don't have to be afraid. This is actually a very kind asset class you know, historically, especially for multifamily investors. And so, you know, it, take measured risks, but, but take those risks because they pay off. And I think I would have, I would have just started sooner and, and gone bigger faster if I had really understood just how secure uh, of an asset class this really is. And what is one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing? You know, I, my opinion on this might be a little bit, I wouldn't say unpopular, but different. I, I think it's people that are relational are successful in this business. And, you know, we see this time and time again, when we have brokers that are dishonest or, you know, attorney partners or something that aren't able to keep their word. So I think our focus is on finding people that are high character, that have integrity, that are values aligned with us. And we see them be successful. So that's what I think is like people who are relational, who understand that the way they interact with people is extremely important. And the way they treat people, you know, their reputation is is going to you know make or break them. So that's what I see. And my opinion is that people that you know are committed to to doing the right thing with the people that they're in business with um, set themselves apart as the winners. Yeah, especially for a long term, uh, definitely as a relationship uh, business. For sure. And so for you, Daniel, do you have any tools or techniques that you've used to improve the efficiency of your life or your business that you can share with us today? I just say delegate and elevate. <laughs> um, I really, so in the past year, hired an executive assistant and it's transformed my life. And I was really hesitant to do that for the longest time because I was sort of a person that was like, I wanted to be in the details. I wanted to make sure that like, yeah, I wanted to have my hands touching everything. And I didn't really understand how much I was slowing my own growth and my own personal development by being unwelling to let go of some of those smaller detailed things. So 
but also what that's done for me is it's helped me systematize. So have systems and processes for everything that you do. It will, uh, I'm still working on this for sure, but as we as an organization grow and look to scale past the level that we've scaled thus far, um, you know, we, we really need to get great at, at systems and processes. And um, the more that I do that, the more I'm a believer in, in its benefit and value. So delegate and elevate and create systems and processes and stick to them. I love it. Delegate and elevate. <laughs> <laughs> so Daniel, I really appreciate you coming on the show today and sharing, you know, what you're about, what Virgo is about, how you built up your business and a lot about the funds and the REITs that you're working on. So if our listeners wanted to find out more about you and what you're doing, where's the best place that they can go? They can find us online, Burgo.com, B-I-R-G-O, or all over social. So uh, LinkedIn page, Burgo Capital. We're very active there. We post a lot of content. Um, we're also active on, on Twitter and Instagram at Burgo Capital. So that's where they can find us. And we'd love to engage. Thank you so much again, Daniel. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.